Marie Fellhauer was proud to serve and protect the greater Los Angeles community as a police officer with the LAPD. Well, in 26 years, she had experienced some community members disrespecting police officers, but what she couldn't accept was what happened in the aftermath of George Floyd's death. When violence shook Los Angeles, she witnessed members of her own police force taking a knee to the BLM protesters. This was in spite of BLM's mantra, the only good cop is a dead cop. Well, Marie is joining us today to tell us her story coming up next. Welcome to the Moms for America podcast. Each week, special guests tackle the issues facing the moms of America today. Discussions include personal stories and advice on how moms can build a strong foundation of faith, family, and freedom in their homes and country. Hi, moms. I'm Debbie Kurlaitis, and welcome, welcome to the Moms for America podcast. I'm so glad that you are joining us today again. Uh, right here at the top of the show, I always want to invite everyone to like and to subscribe to the podcast. We are on all formats, uh, YouTube as well, Rumble, BitChute, all that stuff. Would you please subscribe and like? And then, of course, would you please share <laughs> this with your mom friends? Uh, we have a great podcast uh, series here, and we would love to have you sharing it with your mom friends. Also, I do want to invite all the moms that are listening to join us here at the Moms for America movement. We are moms uniting all across the country, uh, uniting for faith, family, freedom, and the Constitution. So please join us here. Uh, check us all out at momsforamerica.us and find out about Moms for America and how we are here to help you in your journey through motherhood. Uh, also, if you have a topic or an idea, for us to discuss on the podcast, would you please email me at podcast at momsforamerica.net? I would love to hear from you and get your suggestions. On to today's program. Marie Fellhauer grew up in the lovely beachside LA suburb of El Segundo. She expected to raise her family there and live out all her days in her favorite hometown there. But today she lives in Tennessee as part of the growing number of people who don't want to raise their children with the extreme progressive politics that have literally infiltrated California. For 26 years, Marie was a police officer with the Los Angeles Police Department, but she left the job that she absolutely loved when California's leftist ideology invaded the police department. Well, welcome, Marie, to the Moms for America podcast. We're so glad to have you joining us. Thank you. Would you? Okay. Happy to be here. Okay. I'm sorry. I cut you off there, but I'd love to get a little bit about your family, Marie. Tell us about um, what your tribe looks like there. Kids, husband, community, where are you at and what's going on? So I'm married. I've been married for 21 years. Um, we have a seven-year-old son and we recently moved to Franklin, Tennessee from Southern California, my hometown of El Segundo, where I was born and raised and lived there for 50 years. And now I hope to spend the next 50 here in Franklin. Nice, beautiful community there. So yes. I know everybody is kind of fleeing the uh, communistic states and going to lands of free. Uh, I'm in Illinois, so I know what you're what you're talking about from uh, right. leaving California. But um, I'd love to get into a little bit about you being a police officer, your story, um, what you experienced uh, as a police officer. Did you always want to be a police officer? Let's start with that. I mean, that's that's a high calling. And thank you for 
for protecting uh, and, and doing what you've you've done for so many years. Oh, thank you. Um, no, I didn't always want to be a police officer. I went to school um, and I got my bachelor's degree in mathematics with a minor in physics and astronomy. Okay. <laughs> and um, shortly after I graduated uh, from college, my mother passed away and I was kind of uh, forced to just find a job. So I went to a recruiter and they found me a job and I worked in the corporate world for about two and a half years. Um, I was a junior buyer and then kind of thrust into the buyer position at this uh, computer system support company. Um, I wasn't happy there. It wasn't my dream job. I really didn't know what I wanted to do after college. I was going to take a break and then go back for my master's. Um, but as life would have it, uh, I ended up being at a car show downtown LA and LAPD had a booth and a woman at the booth uh, said, have you ever considered law enforcement? And I, I, I recall kind of looking down my nose at her and thinking, no, I, no, I don't want to be a cop. Um, but uh, I came home from work a few days later after taking the packet from her. Uh, I looked through it and there was a sheet of paper in there that said, take the test any day of the week. And so um, whatever day of the week it was when I was home from work and I was sitting on the floor doing my bills and, you know, my pay this bill, my shred that, you know, that whole scenario. Um, I looked at that paper and I saw that on whatever day of the week it was, that test was at 7 p.m. or whatever time it was. And I literally looked at my watch and thought, hmm, I could make it over there. Yeah. So I went and took the test. And uh, that night they schedule you for an interview. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed. And about four months later, I was marching around the academy at 4 a.m. thinking, why aren't I home in bed? So wow. um, kind of fell into it. Um, kind of fell into it. I fell into um, it and then I fell in love with it. Right. That's why I'm wondering what a, what an incredible journey, because isn't it so great when you fall into something unexpected and then you just realize that God opened up those doors and you probably would have never seen it, never would have done it, but the door opened and you walked through it. How was it though, being a woman looking at being, becoming a police officer? I mean, was that complicated? Was it challenging? Was it, it's gotta be different for men and women, obviously, when you go into law enforcement. Very different. Um, you know, and I can I can say this about LAPD. They've gone to great strides and um, lengths to make sure that women are treated equally. Um, but there's always that faction of people who, uh, on both sides actually, who just want to be harder on women, mm -hmm. especially when you're a very feminine woman. So I struggled with that at different points in my career. Um, of course, when I was successful, it was because of my looks. And uh, when I failed, it's because I was weak. Uh, you know, so you don't get the credit, uh, except uh, when you fail. <laughs> so, um, so I didn't fail very, I didn't fail very much. I'm not saying that. But, um, but there are people that kind of take that stance where if you if you do something really well, and you get rewarded for it, it's because mm -hmm. of your looks. Um, so I did have that to, to deal with. Um, and the way I kind of dealt with it was I just killed people with kindness. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not going to sit there and defend myself. I worked super hard. I loved my career. I loved the LAPD. I love serving the public. Um, mm. And so that's just part of who I am. And I think that's because of how I was raised. My mother uh, was the first woman to graduate as an electronic technician from the U.S. Navy. Ah. And, yeah, during the Korean War. And uh, 
she ingrained in me a strong sense of service mm -hmm. and um to the point where she not having a whole lot herself and raising children on her own would always volunteer and do things for other people and she taught me to to have a very strong sense of patriotism a very strong sense of service back to your community yeah. and so that all kind of played into i think my love for my career isn't that true right marie moms instill those values uh, virtue and hope and patriotism and love for country and respect and honor. That's what the mamas do. So your mama gave that to you. And then obviously you've, you've passed it on to your, your, your family and oh, yeah. others that you, that you touch. So thank you for that. One of, one of the things I like to joke about is I'm torturing my son the same way my mother tortured me. She would take <laughs> me on Memorial day. She would take me to the national cemetery and she'd walk up and down the aisles. And maybe this adds to why I ended up majoring in math, but she would stop at any tombstone or headstone that said they were killed in action. And she would say, how old was that that man when he died? And I calculated, and it was usually between 18 and 19 or 18 and 20 yeah. um, from the various wars. And um, she would start to cry. And ah. it it really instilled a, something in me. I didn't understand it when I was a kid. Of course, I rolled my eyes. I'm like, okay, mom, can we go? I, I wanted to sleep in on my day off of school, <laughs> which I didn't get to do. Um, so now I do the same thing with our son. Every, every year, even when he was in a stroller, we took him to the National Cemetery. And he gets down and we thank our soldiers for, for giving their lives for mm -hmm. our freedoms and things that we get to celebrate here in America. Love that. Another great idea for our moms, you know, to just make this a part of uh, raising their children and appreciating yeah. our country and for our fallen soldiers. So another great idea. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, you talked about how you loved your job and you loved public service and you loved what you you did as a, as a policewoman. What, um, what were some of your experiences like? I guess probably let's start with the good. And then I know that there were definitely some challenges, but being a police officer for you, um, you really enjoyed it. You, like you said, you ended up loving it. I, I did love it. <clears throat> I worked in patrol. Um, I worked various divisions all, all across the city. The only, the only bureau, there's four bureaus of LAPD. The only bureau I never wanted to go to was the Valley because I didn't want to deal with the 405, but I worked central, uh, South Bureau and West Bureau. Um, I did various assignments between working patrol, um, the bicycle unit in South South Central LA. <laughs> that was always a good time. Wow. Um, I worked undercover vice uh, where we um, enforced anything that had to do with sex, alcohol, or drugs. Or not drugs, sorry, sex, alcohol, or gambling. Um, drugs were with the narcotics, but we did a lot of um, shared resources in terms of mm -hmm. undercover officers. Um, and then I was a detective. I worked major assault crimes, um, got to work on a couple of high profile cases that turned into homicide cases. So I was the beginning of it. And then once it went to a homicide, when they, when they die, uh, it goes to a homicide detective, but I was pretty honored to be on a couple of really high profile cases. Um, and then I worked internal affairs for a year, uh, worked the field as wow, a, what a career. A, yeah. I worked the field as a sergeant, loved that. Um, I just, I love getting to know people and talk to people out on the streets. And I remember, uh, as a Sergeant, uh, at Southeast division, I would come back to the station and my Lieutenant would say, what are you, what are you doing, Marie? You're out talking to people out in Jordan Downs, which is one of the, it's, it was, I think it's gone now. It was one of the prominent and dangerous, um, 
housing projects in the south end of LA. And I would just get out and chit chat with people. And he's like, you work, you work in LCAR, which means you're by yourself as a sergeant. What, what are you thinking? And I said, I'm just talking to people. So it's just, it's always been my way. And I think, um, you know, I think that's the way the department LAPD is going anyway. But at that time, it wasn't usual for a sergeant to get out by themselves. So I think that played into um, part of the culture of LAPD, but also being a woman and that I was by myself and I'm out there you know, in the middle of the projects chatting with people, but there, there's video cameras and that's how they could see that I was there doing it. Right. Well, you know, women are nurturers, right? We're so relational. So wherever we go, we take that with us. And I'm sure that's what made you such a successful police woman is that you took that caring perspective with you. Um, you saw quite a progression um, of ideals and ideology happening in, in the police department. Um, did you start to see a change in the community, uh, how they related to police officers? Uh, I know we want to get into George Floyd and all that, but could you see some of these problems coming? Was there starting to be a disrespect for police or was there always a certain level of respect and disrespect? You know, for me in my household, I'm like, I see the police and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You know, I, we, um, but I know that's not how it is in, in all communities for different reasons, by the way. Yeah. And, and I'll acknowledge this, the LAPD, uh, for being as large of an organization as it is, its ability to affect change mm. and affect change quickly is, is pretty phenomenal. I'll, I'll credit them for that. Um, and I know that LAPD uh, has some mistakes in their past, and they'll probably have more mistakes in their future. Um, but the department as a whole works really hard to avoid those and, and not repeat them. So I'll, I'll say that. Um, but back to your question, when I started with LAPD, let's see, when I started patrol, it was 97. And, uh, I remember waving at a little boy. I was at a division called Newton, which was affectionately called shoot Newton at the time. It was one of the busiest divisions in South LA. And, um, I waved at a little boy and he gave me the bird. Mm. And I remember kind of turning to my training officer and I'm like, what? And he goes, oh yeah, that's normal. And this boy was maybe nine or 10. Um, uh, so there's, there's a, you know, a portion of cultures that hate the police and right. perhaps some are justified. And I think most are not. Um, I think there's a big misunderstanding between police and some cultures that, that we police, uh, LAPD works really hard on, um, with the constitutional policing, which is making sure that people that you stop understand why you stop them, that mm. you are respectful, that you give them a voice. Uh, there's there's all these like things that, that go into that. So I think LAPD does a really good job, but I think that's across the nation and certain cultures, there's been a deep hatred for police for a long time. And it's mm. just kind of been inculcated into children. Um, Right. Seeing, you know, their uncles get arrested, their dads get arrested, their moms get arrested, whoever, whoever the caretaker is get arrested. And to them, they don't understand. And, you know, when you've got this generational kind of mindset of right. hating the police, it just it's natural for them. Yeah. So Unfortunately, while right. while you can roll your eyes at a child giving you the finger, um, I, I don't blame him or her because they don't know any different. Right. So uh, 
Well, let's fast forward to the summer of 2020. That was obviously a very um, tough year um, in the wake of uh, the death of George Floyd riots. Um, how bad really was it? I mean, we all witnessed it from our television sets and social media. I'm sure what it was as bad, but worse. Yeah, it, it was pretty bad in LA. Um, and I thought it was kind of interesting because on social media, my local social media, uh, when I commented on anything that people were saying, you know, oh, this is mostly peaceful protests. I said, I'm, I'm out there every night and it's not mostly peaceful. Um, maybe during the day when moms and kids and parents are out, uh, it's different. But at night, right. um, I personally witnessed M80s, um, bottles of urine, uh, firecrackers, um, rocks, um, people carrying uh, rebar, rebar mm. that they were, you know, carrying as a weapon. So it, and, and then not only that, there were um, deposits all around the city of LA of rebar, uh, bricks, and other, other things uh, that we located uh, when we would go through and sweep areas. So I was oh, so deposits, there. those were like um, holding deposits areas. Of, of weapons, things that, right. that look like most people just look at it and go, it's a pile of, of, you know, bricks, but where'd they come from? And oh, right. there's three or yeah, four. Yeah, we heard about that, board. right? Yeah. And they were getting delivered and in, in some places, yes. right? And just set I saw, up. I saw it firsthand. Yeah. So, um, but I was out there every night. Um, I had a, um, mobile field force of 60 officers, um, six sergeants and, or, or detective supervisors one or the other. And then uh, I had an assistant with me and I was the mobile field force leader. So um, I saw things firsthand that um, that directly contradicted what was covered on the news. Yeah. Um, and during those riots is, is kind of when my mentality changed a little bit. Uh, I had planned on retiring at 50 mm -hmm. uh, and entering a drop program, which is a deferred retirement option plan where you can stay working for five years and get paid and collect your retirement. And it ends up being a, a net zero um, cost to the city, but it maintains personnel for a longer period of time. So it's a great program that kind of is a win-win on both sides for the city and for, for the sworn okay. officers. So I, I planned on doing that. And right, you planned on retiring in your community I'm retiring right? i just right. i thought i was going to stay a few more years at least right. two or three years on drop to kind of you right. know build up a, a savings account if you will um but in 2020 when i was out there and i saw uh my chief um various commanders mm. and various captains take a knee for black lives matter i went home and I told my husband, I said, that's it. I'm done on my 50th birthday. I don't want to drop. I don't want anything. I'm done. I don't, I don't, I'm not staying anymore. That was it. That was it. That was my, that was my deciding moment because I realized that, that the department no longer stood for the values that I had. Right. And when I came on the department, one of the, one of the policies that was taught to us and was still in the in the uh, manual at the, at the time of the riots in 2020 was that in uniform you never take any political stance. Um, uh huh. Now I'm not 
I'm not going to accuse everyone who took a knee of thinking that it's a political stance. I think that some of their hearts were in the right place. Mm -hmm. But I knew, I knew that BLM was a farce. I knew that they don't care about black lives because I spent years in the south end of LA where black boys, young men, were killed, shot and killed, stabbed, run over by cars during street races, whatever. All these, all these dying children, and never once was there any kind of Black Lives Matter movement. Mm. Not only that, the local media won't even come to those neighborhoods to cover it. No right. one covers it. It's so you saw like, hypocrisy. Oh gosh, so yes. much. It's just like Chicago. There's the right. black black crime. No one, no one talks about that. Right. So this whole BLM thing um, was just ridiculous to me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so you, I, you probably had seen some things kind of coming up through this too, that you were maybe, were you, was there kind of a, a shift already happening and then this was it, or was this the beginning of the shift for you? No, it wasn't the beginning. There were other things. The city okay. of LA is, is run by a mayor and a city council. Um, and the chief of police is appointed by the mayor. And so the chief of police is kind of stripped of their rights to do what's best for uh, law enforcement and for the community. They are beholden to right. a, an elected official who has no experience in law enforcement and a, um, a police commission made up of five individuals who are from various facets of life. But there again, most don't have any experience in law enforcement. Yeah. So and they are also appointed by the mayor and city council. So right. strings uh, are always, attached. Yeah. There's always been this detachment of, of the, the really the upper echelon of leadership over our chief and our command to what really goes on in the streets. Um, it, yeah. It, so it happened. It started happening right. a long time before that, but 2020, right. I think I was just nearing the end of my career and the money to stay in the drop just wasn't enough of a of an incentive to make me stay any longer. And this on top of the fact that I really didn't want my son to be raised in the environment there in California. Right. Um, so so my hometown, my hometown, yeah. El Segundo, also, um, I got an email because my son was in preschool at the time, which was through the school, the school district. Mm -hmm. And we got an email from the superintendent that said, and I'm not quoting, I'm paraphrasing, something to the effect that uh, due, to the, due to the violence against uh, people of color by police in our nation, El Segundo School District stands firmly with Black Lives Matter. Mm. And, I, and I was like, wow. And so that kind of happened around the riot time. I don't, mm. I can't tell you which one came first, but it was all around the same time. And I just remember thinking I'm done because I, I, the thought of moving out of state was scary to me because I, I was mm -hmm. sad that my son wouldn't go to the schools that I went to. I grew up in El, I was born in El Segundo, raised there. I thought I would die right. there. Um, but as soon as I saw that email, uh, along with the uh, the BLM kneeling by my department, I was kind of done. That was the, That was the final straw for me. Right. And I'm sure you were even concerned about your safety, right? I've heard a lot of police officers saying that these progressive uh, ideals come through police departments in cities and then they back off on supporting their own, their own police and trying to help yeah. them stay safe. And 
you've got this major collide in the field that I can't even imagine is very difficult to uh, function in. Yeah, it was it was difficult as a lieutenant to have, you know, my officers kind of come to me and say, you know, should I be looking for another job when mm -hmm. there's the whole defund the police? And these are young officers who just, you know, right. have a year or two on and they're worried that they're going to lose their job. Um, you know, this combined with the whole push for the vaccine, right. um, saying that they were going to be mandated to take the, the vaccine and that they would be fired. And there were very strong messages from the leadership of the city and the chief um, and the command that yeah. would be fired if you didn't get the vaccine. And this in the wake of, you know, hearing our our mayor, you know, call us killers. Um, it was just it was just a lot going on at one time. And mm -hmm. I I was in the twilight of my career and with my son and my husband wanting right. to get out of California, it was just the time to go. Right. It was the right decision for you, for your family. Was there a major exodus from good police officers with a long history of being respected and honored in the community? Was there a lot of police leaving like you did between vaccine and safety and BLM and all this? What did you there see? Was. I can't tell you it was a mass exodus, but I know it was a mass discussion. Yeah. And I know that there was an exodus. Right. Um, I think the retirement numbers went up drastically to the point yeah. where they were having a hard time backfilling. So yeah. I believe they're short like five or 600 officers right now. Mm -hmm. And with the rate of people retiring, because people are just tired of you know the policies um, they're leaving, they're not able to hire at the attrition yeah. rate. So it's, right. it's caused an issue, um, but I can't speak to specific numbers. I don't want to say right. the wrong. I think just the point is people left. Yes. <laughs> if they could leave and they could retire, if they could move, I know it happened here in Illinois. Uh, you know, if they, people had a year or two to retire, they just weren't going to deal with either a forced vaccine or, you know, the city not or the state not supporting them and putting their lives in jeopardy. Um, exactly. So, you know, a lot of these service, a lot of, a lot of careers have been really hurt by the fact that we're defunding the police, soft on crime, vaccinations. I mean, this has been a huge blow to not only just just about every workplace, let alone police. I mean, you kind of felt like this was always a, a great um, career to go into, and that people yeah. aspired and wanted to be police officers, and now people just are. There's, the draw's not there because you're talking about defunding them and not respecting, you know, their position. Right. And it's, it's kind of a blow to, to, you know, the officer's ego and these guys that you think look all, you know, rough and tough out in their uniform when they, when they're in the station, it's kind of a safe space and they kind of, they, they'll come and they'll talk to me and they've told me things that, you know, how they feel. And, you know, people forget that cops are people too. Cops yeah. are human beings with feelings and, you know, feel like when you feel like you're not valued, it's, it's hard and right. it's not. And I, I would tell them, I said, look, there, there's a silent majority of people who love the police. Yeah. Um, but in that time of the whole BLM and the riots, people were afraid to speak up because right. they didn't want retaliation, particularly, you know, business owners. Uh, right. So, but I knew that there are more people who want the police and don't 
It's course. just the ones that don't are low. Right. Right. So um, none of us are ever behind bad people. So if it's bad police, bad neighbor, whatever it is, if you're bad, that's a whole different thing. But to in, in general police, thank you so much for all of your, your hard work and support and help to communities and to all of us. I know what would we do without uh, our law officers? I mean, it would just be complete chaos. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Something that you said made me think about the fact that no one hates a bad cop more than a good cop. Oh, I've heard this so many times. No I have heard this. I'm telling yes. you, I, I can't stand it when someone does something that's embarrassing. So, um, yeah, but the LAPD does a pretty good job about weeding out that kind of thing. So, right. so at the end of your career, you decide at the end of your career in the, in your career, like you said, and you're, 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 um, you're kind of in the top of your game a bit. You just say, I'm leaving, moving. How did you decide to make that move? And, and where did your journey take you? So a few years or a couple of years before I retired, my husband and I talked about leaving at some point because it was starting to get bad. We didn't know exactly when, but we started to move money from California properties to other properties. Um, and so, and Colorado properties to other properties. Um, so we decided that we wanted to live in a red state eventually. And um, we looked at states that didn't have state income tax. We looked at uh, weather. We looked at school districts. Um, so we found that Tennessee was kind of the middle of the range as, as far as weather extremes. And so uh, it just became our top choice. Um, mm -hmm. We also bought in Florida. Uh, so um, yeah, we knew that we would eventually come here. Uh, I was struggling with it because I love El Segundo so much. Uh -uh. And as a side note, I also served on the planning commission for eight years and I was a city council member for four years yeah. in El Segundo. Um, just I mean, you're so invested, right? This is what's so frustrating when they yeah, ruin I states. Love, I love right? that city. But yeah, it's, when they ruin uh, states and community, meaning, you know, overstepping government reach or, you know, progressive ideas that just destroy either mm -hmm. economically or the safety and they just come in and they destroy it with these ideas. And you're like, you know, I'm really upset because I've built my entire life here. My family yeah. is here. My church is here. My school is here. I wanted my kids to live in uh, the familiar uh, community that I was in. It's frustrating that you have to yeah. like rebuild and live, you know, rebuild uh, and live somewhere else. But this is what people are doing all across the country. This just isn't you. This is happening everywhere, isn't it? Oh, I know. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I couldn't be happier with our choice to be here. <laughs> Good um, for you. Yeah, and I, you know, I've been back a couple of times for training purposes and things to, I'm starting a business, that's another subject, but I've been back and when I go to El Segundo and LA, I kind of look around and, and I don't miss it. So I'm I'm very happy with our decision. You know, that it was a good, it was the right time and you have yeah. peace. I and just was kind of right thinking- Right. And and things are different when you're a mom, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, for you to be a police officer in that situation as a mother, I'd love to hear you just speak to that because it's, that's a big concern because you've got a little one. Yeah. Uh, the last uh, six months that we were there in California, um, I witnessed two times a transient walking down our residential street 
um, stumbling and, you know, probably high on something, um, you know, and that's something that I, I never saw growing up. El Segundo was kind of this little um, safe haven community. They called it Mayberry by the sea. And oh. um, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful town. It's kind of bordered by LAX on one side, a big industrial, um, not industrial, sorry, but business corporations on the east side, the beach on the west side, and then Chevron Refinery, which was uh, originally Standard Oil. It was the second Standard Oil plant built, and hence the name El Segundo, the second. Um, so this little bedroom community um, was only 17,000 people, and the entire city is only five square miles. So the residential, though, is one square mile. So it was very protected and very safe. Um, growing up, we never locked our door, you know, everything. Yeah. I was out all day. I mean, I'm, I'm a, right. but things have changed all the way. So yeah, things are totally different. So, um, yeah, that last six months, everything kind of, I was like, okay, it all came into focus and I was ready to go. Before I get you to, for some closing comments on what's happening in Tennessee, because you are now a part of our Moms for America family. Thank you so yeah. much for for joining Moms for America. Thank but, you for thank you for having Moms for America. Yes, Kimberly yes. Fletcher was is so inspirational. So she yeah. is. I mean, she's a rock star. Before we get into that, I just any closing comments about um if you know, maybe to moms that are listening about teaching their children how to respect uh police officers or how we should approach them, or would you suggest going into uh you know into the police division at this point? I, I, any words of kind of like from where you were to where you are now, what, what would you say to the moms that are listening either for them to help their kids or to consider it as a profession? I, I think that I, I just, you have to pray that this is all going to turn around, that the pendulum is going to swing back. That's Law it. enforcement is a very noble profession. Um, it's very rewarding in so many ways mm -hmm. and we need good law enforcement, yes. um, just like we need good soldiers. We need, you know, we need a, the entire purpose of government is to protect its people. So I'm, I'm a big believer in military and police. Um, the message I would give to the public before I get to parents and children would be when there's an active um, situation and cops are cops officers sorry my <laughs> my cop jargon came out but when officers ask you to stay back or to stay out of an area um, they often can't sit there and explain everything to you at that moment sure. um, so I would just ask that you respect their request and realize that they're not trying to be curt or rude or anything else but they're focusing on listening to their radio on tactics their surroundings, everything else. There's a lot of things to pay attention to mm -hmm. um, as an officer, and it's it's sometimes sometimes comes across challenging. As, yeah, comes across as you know they don't they don't care about you or they don't like you. It's just that they're doing so many things at once. They're like, hey, stay back, and they've got to be paying attention to everything else. So that's one message I would give to just the public, um, to parents and to children. Parents, please teach your children that police are the good guys and gals, mm -hmm. women. Um, that police officers are there to help. Right. And um, they're not going to all be warm and fuzzy. They're not going to all have the best bedside manner, if you will, but they are all there to help. Yeah. And um, you're going to have the whole gamut of great ones 
to, you know, ones that are there to collect a paycheck and they're just doing the bare minimum. Okay. You've got that, but, but know that they're all there to help you. And if you don't get the service that you want from one, look for another or ask for another. Um, Don't be afraid to do that, but just know that, you know, when we talked about the riots and the whole George Floyd issue that led to the riots, a lot of people believe the media about cops just wanting to get into a shooting and, and kill someone. I can tell you firsthand, not firsthand, but firsthand from a friend of mine on the department who shot and killed someone who shot and killed an officer. And um, he called me from the, this is before I was married. He called me and said, you know, told me what happened. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And um, this is before social media. And uh, I remember meeting him at his apartment and he just wept in my arms. And this man is about six foot six, 260 pounds, um, you know, corn fed Midwest guy. Um, but he just wept sure. and he was weeping not only for his colleague who was killed, but also for the family members of that suspect. So just know that um, no officer wants to be scrutinized like what my friend went through. No officer wants to think about the mother and the father who are gonna get that phone call about that guy you just killed. Nobody wants to go through that. And I think people forget to realize that we're human. And so I, I can just tell you firsthand, I've seen it. I've seen it with my friends. I've seen it with officers um, that I didn't know as well, but I see how it impacts them at work. What a tough job. I mean, what a tough job. And so people don't realize that. And they think that, that, you know, we're just this like steel thing and we're not, you know, we're soft and we're human and we we love and we care and we realize the impact of our actions and our actions, you know, don't just end there at the scene. Um, you know, we have to live with the consequences because if you don't think that these, these officers who get in shootings or any kind of serious use of force, don't think about the suspect and who all was impacted there, you know, they may have a child, they may have parents, they may have siblings, cousins, whoever's going to be going to that funeral, that all goes through an officer's mind. So just know that I, tr- I tell the story because I want people to understand that. And I, I think even people who like cops kind of think that we're this, this, you know, tough steel, you know, no emotions right. kind of thing. And that's just not the case. We right. don't, we try not to show our emotions when we're out in the field. But, um, but I can tell you it impacts each and every officer each yeah. and every time. Yeah. Tough job, yeah. necessary job. You know, here at Moms for America, we do, we back the balloon and we so appreciate the officers that every day go out there to protect and serve. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you to all the police officers that are listening. Thank you to the members, um, you know, family members that go out and help uh, protect our communities and our children. So uh, just here in close too, Marie, do you want to just mention a little bit? I know we're going to give out your email. You're now helping at Moms for America. Briefly, there's a couple of bills that are happening. We can't get into it real specific, but mm-hmm. you do want to say anyone that's in your county, in what county is it again, Williams? 
Williamson County in Tennessee. Yeah. So I wanted to touch on there's a um, state representative Scott Sapicki. He is sponsoring House Bill 0032, and it's about vaccines and the U.S. food supply, mm -hmm. and about labeling. Here in Tennessee, our uh, our Tennessee Farm Bureau. Uh, did not support the labeling because they don't want to have to do any more work to to label their goods. Um, but we as moms need to, and my call to moms is to think about your child yeah. and you're sitting there feeding them what you would otherwise think is very healthy food, a salad, you know, carrots, whatever. And they suddenly look at you and say, mommy, I can't breathe. Right. So please, please, yeah. Please. They do want to put the hormone in all of our beef, our pork now. So this is something that Moms for America, and this information is on our website, momsforamerica.us as well. This is happening in different states are calling for full um, disclosure on what is being put in our meat. So this is happening in Tennessee. Yes. So they can contact you about this and being involved in this cause as well, right? Yes, I'll be, I'll be hosting a, I'm going to attempt to host a town hall meeting with um, the Tennessee Farm Bureau, if they are amenable to that. I'm guessing they won't be, but we'll see. Uh, the other issue I wanted to just bring light to is that, you know, we're here in Tennessee in Williamson County. It's a conservative area uh, politically, which is great, which usually goes hand in hand with, um, you know, conservative values that include not sexualizing our children. I mm -hmm. want you to know that I have confirmed with a Williamson County school teacher yeah. that in our elementary schools here in Williamson County, we have pride flags in some of the classrooms. We have trans children at our elementary schools using the opposite bathroom from their uh, gender that they were born with. And um, it's a problem. So my my call to moms here in Tennessee and everywhere is if you think it can't happen where you are, you're wrong. Right. Moms need to unite. Moms need to fight these sorts of things. This sort of thing cannot be tolerated in elementary schools, especially elementary schools. My gosh. Yeah. So or any high schools, too. Um, yeah. So All across just, the country, we're hearing that, you know, Things are happening in the schools that parents don't know about. So again, parents be communicating with your children on a daily basis. What are they comfortable with? What are they not comfortable with? Know that you are the parent. The school is not the parent and be involved. Uh, and if you hear of anything in your community, like in this county, get involved, go to the school, discuss this, go to the school board. And I know that's what you're making available. Marie, can you give them your uh, email in case so the, they want to get the involved in your area? Yeah, the school board meetings are once a month. It's very easy to, to attend. It's right here in downtown Franklin. Uh, my email is marie at hhcurations, that's h-h-c-u-r-a-t-i-o-n-s.com, marie at hhcurations.com. And my telephone number, anyone's welcome to call me, is 310-529-5919. 310-529-5919. Great. And we'll put that up here. And then as always, we will have you very involved in there in Tennessee with Moms for America. So you'll have uh, a page going up on Facebook and a, and a website and all that stuff too. So people will be able to get involved in Tennessee with you. And we've got some other great moms there in Tennessee that are just fighting for parental rights and for their kids' safety and to help save that state and save America. So thank Absolutely. you. 
Thank, thank you. you thank so you for much having me for um, sharing your story. And um, I don't know, just fighting the fight. Yeah. We, it's moms like you that are changing, you know, changing the country for good yeah. um, and fighting and against always, the bad. Yeah. I always say to people, if not you, then who? That's right. We all got to get involved and right. show up. You know who it is? It's us. Yes. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Maria. What great story. And um, I don't know, just great information. I just love talking to moms that, you know, just have uh, an interesting background and that, you know, have so much to offer and share and um, help us understand too, right? We were not there in, in California. We don't know what it's like to be a police officer. We don't know what it's like to get up and move and transfer and make these changes, but they're the best changes for our family at that time. And then we go and we pick up a new, uh, a, a new torch and we run forward and uh, change that community out there. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. What a brave woman, right? Uh, what a story. And um, we know as moms, we have to figure out what's the best, the best environment to raise our children. So uh, kudos to you, Marie, for moving to Tennessee and uh, making a, a new life there for yourself. It sounds like it's going to be wonderful. All right, moms. Uh, also, I just want to mention here, Moms for America is here to help you. I mean, we talk about all of these situations, all these circumstances, and we have a lot of information for you as a mom. Uh, really, there's a lot of challenges facing us, right? So we have so many resources, uh, webinars. We have uh, all kinds of programs for you as a mom. Uh, we say from the kitchen table to Congress, uh, from parental rights to public policy, Moms for America is here for you uh, to help you in your journey through motherhood. Uh, I do want to encourage you to stop by our website to, uh, first of all, to sign up for our newsletter. This is how we communicate with you as moms. You go to momsforamerica.us, sign up for the newsletter, and we can communicate with you and provide all of our resources and information on a weekly basis. We also want to tell you about the cottage meetings. This is our signature program. It is 12 lessons, and I'll tell you the moms just absolutely love this. It is 12 lessons that will inspire and educate you about the principles of liberty in your home and in your community. This program, along with all of our other programs on our website, will help impact your family in a very powerful way. So please go to momsforamerica.us, sign up for our newsletter, and check out all of our programs and resources that are available to you, mamas. All right, every week we say this, liberty begins at home, and that you mamas, you are the heartbeat of America, and you are the heartbeat of your home. That's why moms are so important. They are the greatest influencers in their children's lives. I do want to encourage you to join us next week for another inspiring and informative discussion. Uh, we've got great podcasts every week. Also, check out our library. Go back on some of our podcasts. We have really some incredible moms that are sharing some incredible stories. We say this every week to moms. Let's keep changing our world one home at a time. It begins and ends in the home. Thanks, moms, and I'll talk with you next week. Mm -hmm.